Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. Good morning. My name is Beth, and I have the privilege of being on staff here at Awake and bringing the word to you this morning. I'm super excited. Um, I want you to turn to Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Then God said, that word for God there is Elohim, which means plural unity. It literally means God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are equal. Plural unity. And then he says, let's let's make man in our image and let them have dominion. Father, thank you for your word. I ask that you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what you're saying today. Let my few words be many. Allow them to land on the hearts and minds, the emotions of your people, in the way that you fashioned them to. We trust you, Holy Spirit, to teach us today, and we're expectant that the word of God will shape us and transform us. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. So this morning, um, I'll let you title the message. It's, I guess you'll have to wait till the end to see what you decide. But it's going to be either why women, why not women, the Holy Spirit in women, Since Matt is teaching on the Holy Spirit, we can just dive in and call it the Holy Spirit and women, and it will fit. But for the first time since I've been involved in ministry, which is almost 40 years, I know I started when I was three, um, the Lord says it's time. He says it's time to share my heart with the body that you serve how I feel about women. And I just want you to know that when I was in college, I mean, literally over 40 years ago, and I'd walk across campus, and the Lord would drop a sermon in my heart. It'd have points and all of this, and I'd say, will you please stop this? Because there wasn't, I grew up in Montana, very traditional, and I didn't have women examples in the pulpit or sharing the word. And I said, Lord, you keep giving me things, and yet I don't, it's contrary to what culture says. And so I've been on a journey. I have believed for a long time that this gift, this calling is on women as well as men. And I'm going to prove to you today through scripture how God feels about women. But I want you to know the one phrase that really set me free all those years ago is if God would trust a woman to carry the living word. Remember a few weeks ago when Matt was talking about how all of the gospel, all of God's plans rested on the 14-year-old girl saying yes, if God would trust a woman to carry the living word, he certainly 
would trust a woman to carry the written word. And when you compare those ideas, you know it's true. But I really want to give you an idea of how God feels about woman, women. So let's go to Genesis 2. This is so fun. Starting in verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I want you to know up until this point, everything he did, he said, It's good. It's good. Go back and read. He'd finish something. It's good. This is the first time he says, It's not good. Isn't that interesting? But he says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to man. And Adam says, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. So what I love about this is that when Adam was first created, he had both male and female in him. But when God looked around at creation and saw that Adam was the only one in creation that didn't have somebody that was suitable, comparable to him for companionship and fellowship, the Lord put him in a sleep, pulled out a rib, and he fashioned Eve. And that word there really means built. If you noticed, up until then, Adam and every living creature had been made from dirt. But Eve was built by God out of something that was within Adam. You know, it says God fashioned her. And I just want you to know she's been into fashion ever since. Isn't it true? But what I love is that when Adam saw her, he prophesied. It was like he fully recognized this is what he was needing. It's really interesting, the word helper there. I was taught that I was created to help Tim, to surround him with aid and assistance, which is true which is, that is part of it, and I love that. Um, Tim and I have been married for um, 38 years, and it is something that I love being his wife. But somehow, being raised, I was raised in the Lutheran church, heard very little about women, if anything, but it was always in a subservient role. But what's really interesting is this word helper in Genesis 2.18, it's the Hebrew word ezer, or ezer. 
It's a powerful word. It's not subservient. It's not less than. It's not less important. It literally means more capable, powerful, and intelligent ally. Helper is found 19 times in the Old Testament. Two times it refers to wives. The other 17 times it refers to God himself. The exact same word that God used for Eve is what God used for himself 17 other times. Now, I am not elevating women above men. Please don't even think that. But what I'm trying to tell you is they were never meant to be less than. I've heard the argument that people will say, well, Adam came first, so he was more important. Well, if you want to use that train of thinking, pigs and cats came before Adam. So that doesn't work with me. Do you know what I'm saying? I, Joe, you think I'm funny, don't you? He's, he's a student out there. He'll catch me if I'm wrong. Anyway, so it's important that in Psalm 121, 1 through 2, I think one thing that's really important is to just prove my point about helper. It refers to God. I think they have a slide on that. I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. From where shall my help come from or come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Exact same word there that God used for woman is used for God there. And all, there's lots of scriptures you can find. But I just wanted to make that comparison so your mind would shift maybe. And I just really want to encourage you that if the word of God doesn't challenge what you've been taught and you haven't changed from when you got saved, I want to suggest you've held more to a cultural belief of what you were taught than the actual word of God. Because as I study and I dive in and I see what it says and it reads my life, I'm always adjusting to what the word is inviting. But as men in this room, well, let's just say, population-wise, it says women make up 49.6% of all the population. That's a little skewed because India and China report way over and above. They carry way more population and the thing about that is they have more men than women. So they skew the numbers. So really, over the majority of the world, over 50% are women. And it's so interesting to think that God wouldn't want the same thing for women that he wanted for men. But if we've been taught wrong, we're going to view scriptures wrong. So when I read that helper was another word, it was, a, it was seriously to mean equal to him, a helper equal, because the verb that's attached to that word, ezer, literally means comparable or equal to man. So I love that, that God is teaching us something about his nature in creation. In Genesis 1.26, it tells us they had a shared assignment. It says, let them have dominion. They had a shared responsible, uh, responsibility. Let them rule over the earth. It says God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply. So in the beginning, I don't know how you were taught, but this I love that God just says, I have something for both of you. While different in function, equal in creation. And that's beautiful. You know, when Jesus refers to when a man and wife become one, what I love about that and a reference to that, if you want to write it down, look it up later, 
It's in Mark 10, 8. When Jesus says two will become one, it's a compound singular word. Compound singular word, like a cluster of grapes or a pair of shoes. It takes both to make the pair, right? But they have a different function, a right foot and a left foot. So it's really interesting that just like back in the beginning where God said, I'm going to make them in my image, which God was equal, separate functions. That's how men and women were created. I also want to show you something that popped out at me this time that I've never noticed in 3.12. In Genesis 3.12, this is after the sin. Um, God comes to him and says, Adam, where are you? But in 3.12, the man says, he's giving blame, the woman whom you gave to be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. The woman you gave to be with me. My whole life, I thought it says the woman you gave to me. How about you guys? I thought it was a possession type. It's not. Adam's saying, you know the one you gave to be with me? Again, it's signifying equality. And I loved that because that brought clarity of how God feels about women. So I heard that different when I was studying it this time. So how does God feel about women like throughout the Old Testament? I'm just going to rapid fire give you examples. In Judges 4 and 5, we have Deborah. She's a leader. She's a prophet. She's the military commander. You read about her. She gets it done. She's, she's amazing. Um, she's just, she was the head of state. She was just as Samuel and other prophets were before Israel had a king. She operated fully in that role. In Micah 6.4 and Exodus 15.20, Miriam. Miriam was a prophet, a worship leader. She used music and dance. Israel was being born as a nation in the desert for those 40 years. And so they say there was three to four million people. And the, the word clearly says those millions of people were led by Moses, Miriam, and Aaron. So a third of the nation, Israel's leadership, was a female. Does any of this stretch you? Is it different than what you were taught? I don't know, but it's just, I, as I read it, it was so incredibly fun for me. 2 Kings twenty two fourteen, is the prophet Huldah. She's asked to seek God on King Josiah's behalf. King Josiah needed some wisdom, and he sent his priests and confidants, I want you to go inquire of the Lord for me. Do you know what? They bypassed Jeremiah and Zephaniah, who were really close with King Josiah, and went to the prophet Huldah. And she inquired of the Lord, and she got a word and gave a very direct word. Josiah called the whole nation together, and what he did is he obeyed the word of the Lord that came through her. Then we have Queen Esther. I mean, there's just an, a precedence of how God used women. But then we have this unusual thing between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's 400 years of silence. And in this 400 years of silence, a lot of man-made traditions, adaptations, and things happened. This is really where Judaism rose to the forefront. This is where they took um, commands and things of the Old Testament, modified them, added to them. And so I want to give you, like the example was, the Old Testament had 252 commands that people had to follow and laws. The New Testament has two. 
sums it all up in two, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. The whole law and the prophets are wrapped up in that. But in this 400 years of silence, Judaism is growing. They have 613 laws and commandments you have to follow. And a lot of them were really against women. First century women, if you were a Gentile, you were much more powerful and respected than the women in um, Judaism. The Macedonian women, they could build temples, they founded cities, they engaged armies, they held, they held fortresses, they were military leaders, they served as regents and co-rulers. Men admired their wives so much that they even named cities after them, and women could receive an inheritance. Now, the Roman women were more restricted. The authority of the father was paramount, it was absolute. Roman girls were sold into the hands of their future husband. She could not conduct business. She had to get either a, a male relative or a friend to do business under his name. I can't, I can't imagine that, if that's how it was. They couldn't get an inheritance. They had no right to divorce. But when the men were off fighting in Caesar's army, women could step in and manage the family business and do that only while the men were out serving in the army. Now, in, in Egypt, first century women, they were equal to men. They could buy, sell, borrow, lend money. They could initiate a divorce. The eldest daughter could be the legitimate heir, so inheritance wasn't an issue. But what's interesting about Judaism that took its rise and its influence in this time between Old and New Testament, um, women were considered the least. They were like worse than a slave or at the level of a slave. Jewish men would rise every morning, or when they awoke, before they got out of their bed, they would say the Baraka. It was their morning prayer. Do you know what it was? Blessed be he who did not make me a Gentile. Blessed be he who did not make me a woman. Blessed be he who did not make me a slave. So I don't know about you, but if I was a wife, to a Jewish man, and I heard that every morning, and he's declaring, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. It was just that, putting them down, putting them down. But yet what we've read in creation and God's intent and the whole Old Testament, God empowered women and used them and valued them. But we're coming into then the New Testament with this cultural idea of that women had no rights, no respect, no voice. They were property of men. They couldn't even be a witness in court cases. So look how far they strayed from God's design. Jewish women were forbidden to speak to men in public. They were required to veil their face. If they were caught out in public without being veiled, they, um, it was grounds for divorce. Polygamy was legal for men in the Jewish culture, not women. Judaism was stricter than any other culture, than any other regarding women. So in walks Jesus. Now we're going into the New Testament. What does Jesus say? Well, we know that in the garden, God prophesied that Jesus would come and restore. Do you know he does that in every area? He does that with women. Like, honestly, he was so for women that it kept messing with the religious leaders' minds because he talked to them in public, in private. He included them. He taught them all kinds of stuff, and they were like, What's he doing? They're women. So I just want 
to remind you that the Gospels refer to women 112 times in distinct passages, which before they weren't counted, they weren't talked about in literature, they weren't written about. They might be in a scene, but they didn't have a voice. And so it's really important that Jesus' mission was to restore, and what he wanted for all of us, it wasn't gender bias, it was inclusive, it was including, inclusive. So let's go to John 8, 3 through 11. The woman caught in adultery. I felt like the Lord said, Beth, will you show my heart how much I restored women? So this woman caught in adultery, you're familiar with it. In fact, I probably don't have to read it. Um, But John 8, 3. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery. And when they had set her In the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned, but what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. Jesus stooped down, wrote on the ground with his finger as though he didn't hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it, being convicted by their conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the oldest, even to the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. When Jesus has raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, woman, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Then Jesus spoke and said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So what's so interesting about this is in the law, if you want it for reference to look up later, um, it is Leviticus 20.10 and Deuteronomy 20.22. The law stipulated that if there was adultery, they were both put to death, both males and females. But they had rewritten this so much to be against women that they were, the law says stoner, and Jesus would not cooperate with an unequal application of the law. I think this is fascinating. But he was saying, hmm, he knew what the law said, but they had rewritten it to their advantage, and Jesus wouldn't cooperate. I think this shows you the value of double standard. He's like, I'm not going to do it. If you go to... um, And maybe I'm just going to tell you about this one. Luke 13, it's the crippled woman who was bent over for 18 years. Now, in the temples, the women weren't allowed to be there and be taught. There were walls to keep them separated. There were outer courts. There were places they were allowed, but they weren't allowed where the real teaching, the real worship was happening. But in this instance, there's a woman bent over and crippled. And the Lord, Jesus calls her forward to come up in front of the crowd, which they were like, what? So she's called to come to the place where he is teaching. And it's so cool because, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but Jesus often didn't teach in the temple. He would teach in the outer courts. He would teach in fields. He would teach by the sea. He would teach within the city square. It was because he wanted to include women because they wouldn't, in that culture, allow them where the teachers were. But here he calls her forward and he prays for her and she gets healed and he defends her. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. 
And I want you to know, I believe in that room there were gasps. Because these Pharisees and scribes were so proud that they were descendants of Abraham. And they would never refer to women as daughters of Abraham. So Jesus restored this woman's health and brought her to wholeness, but he restored her dignity. He told her she was every bit able to inherit the promises that these men were touting. And it's again showing Jesus was wrecking them. Now they get mad at him because it's the Sabbath, but I want you to know equally they were seething because he pulled a woman, brought the attention on her and restored her. How about Mary and Martha in Luke 10, 38 through 42? This is so interesting, again, for time's sake. You guys are familiar with Mary and Martha. Jesus is in their home and Mary's sitting at his feet, right? Did you know culturally women were supposed to be in the kitchen? They weren't allowed to be taught by men. They had very little education. And Mary is where? Sitting at Jesus's feet. So when I've heard, you know, Martha's freaked out and she goes, won't you tell her she needs to come help me? And he goes, what she's picked is the best. He was validating women could learn, they could be taught. And even when it says she was found at his feet, that was reserved for students sitting at rabbi's feet being taught. It's not an accident that it's written that way. It's to empower, Jesus is saying, I value women sitting at my feet just like I value men sitting at my feet. That's beautiful to me. It's so beautiful. So I just think the culture expect, expectation was Martha's role is this, Mary's role should be that, and God said, oh no, this she's doing the very thing I want her to do. So John 11, 20 through 27. Are you, do you see how much Jesus empowered women? Because again, you guys, the Gospels, I've said this before, but they only cover about 35 days. There's only like 35 recorded days. It's a period of 34 years. But the scripture says, if everything Jesus said and did was recorded, the world could not hold the volumes of books. The reason it says that is we only have a snippet of Jesus's ministry. But do you see how much he displayed his love and affection and the equality of women in the eyes of the Lord. So we're going to go to Martha at the time of Lazarus' death. John eleven twenty 20 through 27. This is awesome. You guys are really quiet. Did you go to sleep on me? Okay. All right. So then Martha, okay, Lazarus dead in the tomb. He stinks, right? You guys know the story? We're going to pick it up here. Verse 20, then Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him, but Mary was sitting in the house. I think Martha learned from the last encounter with Jesus, just saying. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection of the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe? And she said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God who has come into the world. This 
is the center of the gospel, what he just declares to her. It is the whole reason Jesus came, that if you believe, you will live forever. It is the crux of what the gospel teaches. And who did he share this revelation with? A woman. The 12 disciples aren't there. He is having a private conversation, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes, do you believe it? And do you know what she says? It's so cool. Yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the Son of God. Does this remind you of any other scripture? When you study this out in the original language, it is exact, almost exactly verbatim to when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Peter, upon this revelation, I will build my church. So we're like impressed, Peter. Wow, you got that from God. That wasn't revealed by men. But Martha said the exact same thing before Peter ever said it. That tells me her connection to the Lord, listening to him. But for him to have this dialogue with her is valuing Martha as one of his followers. Isn't that so good? How about the woman with the issue of blood? Do you remember that story? It's three times in the Gospels. Like, you guys, she was so sick. She had blood for 12 years. It says that um, she had been to many doctors, didn't improve, got worse, spent all that she had. But she just knew if she could touch the hem of Jesus' garment. Now, in that culture, you couldn't. If a woman was bleeding, if she was on her cycle, she was considered unclean, and anything you touched became unclean. Anything you sat on became unclean. There were so many rules and regulations that culturally, she was not even allowed to be out in public. But not only did she press in and touch the hem of his garment and power comes out of him, he stops and says, who touched me? And the disciples are like, really, man? Everybody's touching you. He goes, no, power went out. He did not shame her. He did not tell her, what are you doing out here? You shouldn't be. He totally erased all those heavy burdens she was living under and said, he marveled at her faith. He applauded who she was and what she did. That's the heart of Jesus. That's to restore things to how he intended them to be. How did he treat the woman at the well? Let's roll the video. Would you give me a drink? You hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask her to drink from me a Samaritan and a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. <laughs> you know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the cool of the morning? Yeah, well, none of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out to in the heat. You have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I 
unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to throw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Wrong story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him, even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? <laughs> Until the Messiah comes, it explains everything, and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity who was excited to be married. But he wasn't a good man. He hurt you. And it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And 
to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with. But you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? <laughs> I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. As you know these things, because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon, just the heart. <laughs> you promise. I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ! <laughs> beautiful. I think they did a really good job, but I feel like God reveals himself as the Messiah to this outcast of society. A Samaritan woman was considered immoral, unclean. Even Samaritans wouldn't associate with her, and he declares who he is. Jesus, or the angel of the Lord, came to Mary and talked about the incarnation. So a woman heard first about Jesus coming. A woman heard first that he was the Messiah. A woman first goes to the tomb that Jesus was resurrected. So I only say those things to put women back in the place they were intended from the beginning. And I think what's interesting is that the gospel is full of it. God's word is full of how he values. And the reason I think it's important is the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. And Men, you have moms, you have wives, you have sisters, you have daughters, and they have callings on their lives, and you need to champion them. Women, you've been lied to to say that God won't use you, and you have things stirring in you. You will give an account to the Lord what you did with what God put in you. And it's so important to me. Um, you guys, I just want you to know I have 13 pages of notes. I have the three very controversial scriptures that Paul writes about, about forbidding women in the context they were written. And I challenge you to go study it out. It is not what you've been told. Paul wrote nine letters to nine different cities, and he only addressed three of them with um, strict instructions for women. Those three were in Corinth, Ephesus, and Crete. And all three of those cities were dominated by um, Greek goddesses. 
temples that were totally run by women, and they ran over men. And if you culturally will study this out, you will see that it has been misapplied in our culture. It has stripped women of their right to do what they're supposed to do. Where it says in Timothy that women aren't supposed to take authority over men. If you study out that word, it's not the real word authority, but what it really is, is that you're not the author of man, so don't you try to dominate him. It's really beautiful. Paul was correcting something that was off, and it was off because of the culture and how they had lived before the gospel came, before they started following what Jesus said. And so when you look at Paul, and he names by name 39 people that helped him in the gospel, helped him preach, helped him serve, helped him birth churches. Of 39 names he lists, over 25% of them are females. They founded churches. They were deacons. You guys, seven listings of a woman who operated as a deacon in the verb form, meaning to minister, to proclaim, to prophesy, to preach. We're told in Ephesians that we all are all. It's, it's written to men and women that were to prophesy, were to be pastors, evangelists, teachers, all those things. There's one body, one Lord, right? So wouldn't it be crazy if a woman like myself was called to teach, but I could only teach to the female body of Christ? That would be like two bodies. It's so inconsistent with scripture. And I did, I did do all my homework. I have all of that. But you know what I felt like the Lord said? Genuinely. He says, that's all my body has heard is what women shouldn't do. And it was taken out of context. Will you tell them what I've done? how I feel about them, my value I've placed. And I just really feel like that's where I'm supposed to end instead of go through all of this argument because I, ha I, I really have the goods. And it, it's really, I dug in there and it's not easy. And I didn't need it because I believe what God's put on the inside of me. I love that we have a pastor that believes that God's called all of us, everyone in here, and we want to get behind what you're called to and what you're gifted in. And where there's error, there can be correction. But what I know is I don't want any of you to hide. I don't want any men to put their wife down. You are co-laborers. You're co-equals in what God intended. And what Jesus restored on the cross was what was lost in the garden. And we don't, just like we sang this morning, we don't want any less than what Jesus paid for. So would you just purposefully if you have questions, I can give you resources. But if, you if you've kind of just taken this wrong view of men are better than women instead of we're equal in God's eyes and I need to do everything I can to encourage her, it's just like I do everything within my power to encourage my husband. I'm his biggest cheerleader. I champion him in things he doesn't think he can do. But he does the same for me. And when we were senior pastors, and he'd asked me to preach, he had some of his council members get up, one in particular, and walk out because he didn't believe women were supposed to be in the pulpit. And Tim was like, he doesn't give an account to God like I do. And what I know, and what I know about the other women that carry the gospel, and there's history tells of some of the biggest revivals and some of the biggest reach has been through the voice of a woman. And it wasn't because women are that great, it was the call that was there and she said yes. It's because God is so great. I hope you hear my heart. It's because God is so great, but he's equally great in both genders. And I just think within the church, we should outshine the world of empowering and releasing those who are called and equipped, don't you think? And I think it's time that we do that. So I just wanna pray because 
I don't want to keep you longer, but it was one of those things that there is really good, sound answers to the three admonitions or corrections that Paul brought. And when you learn them in context, you would never say a woman shouldn't speak or teach or lead. And I just want you to know, if you're a woman here and you've been devalued, I hope just all of what Jesus took time to promote, uncover, affirm, when there's very few days recorded and we have so many that involve restoring women, I want you to receive from God your value, your worth, his smacky seal of approval on what you're called to do. But can we just take, because we all have different experiences, good, bad, and in between, and let's just go to the Lord and lay him at his feet and ask for him to just give you revelation. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you created one, then you made them two, and it takes two of us to represent the one. That's how you made it. And so in this room, whether people have been pushed down or treated as less than, or whether we've just misunderstood. Holy Spirit, would you call each one of us to accountability in our own walk, with our own belief, with what we say, and how we affirm and release people into their callings? Would you do a work in us? You began a good work. Will you complete and perfect it? We want to be challenged where we're not believing right. We don't want to believe something twisted and it becomes religion. We wanna believe the truth and it will always produce freedom. So Holy Spirit, we ask the spirit of truth to wash over us and adjust us just like a chiropractic adjustment. Let us hear, see, and know what you're saying and give that everywhere we go. Lord, thank you that you have a good glorious plan for every person in this room. And you who began a good work, you promised you'd complete and perfect it. We're yours. And we want to live to the fullness of what you've called us to. We want to be transformed into your image and not be afraid of one assignment. Because if you're for us, God, it doesn't matter who's against us. So Lord, make us be people of great love and compassion, but also people of conviction. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you're still working with us and calling us to think clearer step out bolder, increase our faith. We love you, we praise you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.